So we're going to do things a little bit different today, and I'm going to tell you kind of a, a story. But one of my favorite quotes about Easter is from the brilliant pastor and theologian Tim Keller. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Now, obviously, we're not the only ones celebrating. People are celebrating all around the world. Easter is a global event. This man, Jesus, he split history in half in B.C. and A.D. Whenever you write the date, you're actually writing down something that has Jesus as a focal point. And so I, I want you to think about today the scriptures we're going to read. And I want you to hear a story. Before I tell this story, I've asked some of my friends from one chapel, a few friends here, to come up and give us context for the story we're going to hear. And they're going to read three passages of scripture. And so as they read, would you mind doing me a favor, would you stand with me and let's honor the reading of the scripture. Come on, stand up with me, everybody all over the room, and let's honor the reading of God's word. Good afternoon, my name is Abel Ruiz. I'll be reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the life of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good. Good afternoon. I'm Kim Swafford. I'll be reading from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 5 through 11. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we would be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sins, he will have many descendants he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Mm, that's good. Amen. Good afternoon. My name is Travis Estes. I'm going to read Luke 24, 1 through 7 for you. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men um, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee with you, uh, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the illumination of your word and the revelation into our hearts. We ask you to give us grace and strength to obey. Lord, here today as you speak to us, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as we consider this resurrection story today, I'm aware that many of you have heard it before. And, and so as we do something a little bit different today, I want to spark your interest. And I, instead of just remembering the story, I want you instead to imagine. I want you to imagine darkness. Imagine complete darkness and silence. Not a single sound or shard of light. And then God spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. We don't know if this was a big, booming, powerful voice. It might have been a gentle whisper of a father. But what we do know is that when God himself declared, let there be light, that the light ripped through the darkness and illuminated everything. All of creation at breakneck speed came to life. The light became day and the darkness became night. God created the sky and the billowing clouds. He created the, the, the sandy beaches and the, the wonderful colossal waves that crash on the shore. He created the, the birds that flew in the air and the fish that swam in the sea. He created mammals that galloped and trotted across the green fields. He created trees and plants so in such abundance that we'd never run out of air. Finally, he made someone that looked a lot like you and me. Two eyes, pupils, a nose, four fingers, one thumb on each hand. He created man and woman. The man he created, he named Adam. Adam means ruddy or created from the earth. He named the woman Eve, which means roughly living or lively. God spent time with Adam and Eve. He, he walked with them in the coolness of the garden. He gave them a purpose. And he talked to them differently than he did any of the other creatures in the garden. With some fatherly warning, he said to them one time, whatever you do, don't eat of this particular tree. He said, you can eat of any of the trees that are in the garden. You can eat from them all except for this one. This one tree, whatever you do, do not eat of it. 
because it will bring you death. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it because you'll die. Now, the humans, they, they tried to push it out of their minds. They tried to ignore that tree. They tried to forget. But the, the enemy of their soul, the tempter, he wouldn't let them forget. He questioned what God had said to Eve. He actually asked her, are you sure? Are you sure that he said you couldn't eat from this tree? And Eve said, oh, God said we could eat from any of the trees in the garden. But this one tree, we should not eat of it. And if we do, we will die. And then the enemy tempted Eve with one intoxicating thought. And it was this, he said, you will not surely die. You'll be like God. Which was foolish on one level. It was a lie in every way. They were already made in the image of God. That's what the scriptures say. And so this idea seemed so attractive to Eve. She could not stop herself. She did not want to. She reached out to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she took the fruit and ate of it. And so did Adam. And immediately everything changed. Their eyes suddenly were wide open. Their souls were overtaken by shame. You see, because Adam and Eve, they didn't die immediately, right? But their innocence was slaughtered. They hid from God. They, they were pushed out of paradise. They came into a hostile world and now they had to fend for themselves and they had to farm the land and search for water. And the result of their mistake is the reason that we all today work really, really hard. It was their insistence to live life on their own terms that created this. We'd build shelters. We, we'd raise livestock. We'd work feverishly to survive. And many, many years later, many of us would end up spending much of our lives in something called a cubicle. We would have bosses and paychecks. We'd get hired and fired. And this is where the pain began. This is, this is what happened. Children would now be born out of the pain of their mother. We'd get cuts and bruises and broken legs and scarlet fever and, and cancer. But the greatest pain came because of the separation from God. That's where sin began separated them from him. Not long after Adam and Eve left paradise, one of their sons actually killed his own brother. And so sinfulness was handed down generation to generation from father to son and from mother to daughter. You might, you might know the feelings that sin brings. Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever made a mistake and you wish so badly you could like take it back? <laughs> Have you ever felt deep shame? Have you lied? Have you ever hurt someone? 
This is sin. This is what sin is. I, I want you to imagine yourself, the worst parts of yourself, running rampant and unchecked so that it destroys yourself and everyone around you. That's what sin does. And listen, make no mistake, we've all sinned. Everyone here. We're all guilty of this. Humanity was in this wilderness for a very, very long time. This wilderness of sin. We were in exile. Sin was dominating the world with slavery and poverty and disease and famine. Something had to change. Humankind needed hope. We needed a savior. We needed an all-knowing, all-powerful being of love to reach out to us and rescue us from ourselves. Every person who'd ever lived and every person who would ever live. What we got was a baby. 8.6 ounce, tiny little baby Jesus. What we got was an infant that needed to be changed and burped and swaddled so he wouldn't get cold. A baby born in a barn or maybe, maybe closer to a cave in a little town called Bethlehem that nearly no one had ever heard of. But this, this was not any ordinary baby. His mother was a woman named Mary. And his father was not Joseph, it was God himself. And this meant that he was fully human. In other words, he could feel, he could laugh and cry and experience pain. But he was also fully God with the power of the creator of the universe stretching from his little fingers to his tiny baby toes. It's really an amazing thing that happened. He was the most unique person ever created and the, the most unique one that any of us would ever encounter. His name was Yeshua, and that was later to be Latinized as Jesus. He lived among us. He learned carpentry. We don't really know much about his life until he's 30 years old. Jesus' story really begins when he asks his cousin to baptize him. You might have heard of his cousin, John the Baptist. And he, he was a prophet, kind of a, a wild man. And he lived in the desert and survived in the wilderness on a low-carb diet of locusts and honey. <laughs> John began declaring that God's kingdom was coming. He was declaring that God's kingdom was at hand, that God was sending a, a savior into the world to rescue all humanity. He spent most of his life preparing the way for his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth. When John asked Jesus to baptize him, it was an incredible moment because as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens split open and God's spirit descended on Jesus. And everyone there heard this voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, you'd think with a commission like that, like he'd just go out and start doing miracles. 
I mean, big ones, like miracles, like parting the Red Sea, or like flying around, or, or like uh, hitting a rock, striking a rock, and, and rivers of Topo Chico would come out. But listen, something happened here with Jesus that is so profound. It seems strange on one level, but he, he didn't start doing miracles. You know what he actually did? He went to the wilderness alone. And there he prayed and he fasted and he was tempted by the enemy. Yes, the same enemy that tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden tempted Jesus. He tempted him with his, with his physical needs. He tempted him with his, his abilities, the things he could do on his own. He tempted him, like many of us, with power and influence. It's a strange chapter in the life of Jesus because... Because it seems funny that he would be led into temptation after God had just said how pleased he was with him. Or maybe it's not so strange. Maybe God is showing us that after some amazing moment encounter with God that that's when temptation hits us the most. Jesus began to reach out to people. He began to reach out to all of us. He, he did the most incredible miracles. Now, okay, I gotta be honest with you. Some of them were really strange. Some of them were weird. Like he spit in the dirt one time and made mud. And then he took that mud and he slimed it on a blind man's eyes. <laughs> you didn't read that version, did you? Slimed it on his eyes. And that man suddenly could see. It was incredible. An entire town came out to stone a woman that they'd caught in adultery. And Jesus just kneeled down and started drawing something in the dirt. We don't really know what it was. But while he was doing it, he said, those who are without sin cast the first stone. And he saved her life that day. He turned to her and said, go, sin no more. One time in a meeting, a man who was paralyzed was lowered down from the roof, and Jesus simply said, take your mat, get up and walk, and he did. Jesus prayed for five loaves and two fishes. It was incredible. Bread exploded. <laughs> he fed 5,000 people that day. As strange as his miracles were, but he said even stranger things. He said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor, the meek, the persecuted, this doesn't sound like the blessed. What was happening? Jesus was ushering in a different kind of kingdom, an upside down kingdom. That's what God was doing. <laughs> Jesus was an amazing storyteller. He told incredible stories everywhere he went. He told the story of a man who was beaten on the side of the road and left for dead. 
And then Jesus explained how a, a person that he named a good Samaritan, which was inconceivable to Jewish people, but a good Samaritan stopped on the road and took care of this guy and bandaged up his wounds and paid for all his medical care. Paid for all his medical care. That's health insurance. Listen, he told stories about a man, a son, who ran as far away as he could from his dad. And he took all of his inheritance with him and he sinned and sinned until it was all ran out. He squandered his inheritance and his family fortune. And then this incredible father, Jesus tells a story about how the father welcomes the son home with arms wide open. Jesus is telling the story. He's saying, this is how much God loves you. This is how you should love each other. Thousands of people began to follow him. Ten thousands of people, tens of thousands. It was an incredible thing that had happened. Jesus, there was a movement. But the religious leaders, they did not like it. They could not see it. They did not embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They, they claimed that he was a blasphemer, a phony, a liar, a fake, a charlatan, and he had to be stopped. See, they wanted to control the power. They wanted to control the people with their knowledge of good and evil. They finally convinced one of his best friends to betray him. And in the middle of the night, Jesus was dragged away by Roman soldiers under false accusations. He was flogged 39 times with something called a cat of nine tails, his skin torn, his body, his body wounded almost beyond recognition. The same crowd that had followed him, that welcomed him in Jerusalem just a few days earlier, the same crowd that had chanted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That same crowd was now screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Soon even his deepest friendships were lost. His closest disciples denied that they'd even met him. The trial was a mockery. Jesus was sentenced to death. But for what? For what? For healing the lame? For healing the sick? For raising the dead to life? For feeding the hungry? For turning the water into wine? For showing people the love of God? They forced Jesus to carry a huge cross through the streets of his own hometown in front of the men and the women and the children who had watched him do the very miracles that he had done, watched him feed the 5,000, watched him heal those little children. But they were all thinking, Is this, was this all just a lie? They took him to the hill called Golgotha and they hung him on an old wooden cross. And you would have thought that Jesus would be angry. Like, you would have thought that Jesus would be calling down vengeance from heaven for this injustice. But that's not what he did. It's not what he did. He's actually recorded as saying, as he's stretched out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
The separation from God that had taken place in the garden was finally coming to an end. At that moment, the doors of his heart were flung wide open and with every dying breath, Jesus was saying, here, let me take that. You don't need to hold that. Give it to me. I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm big enough. I'm wide enough. I care enough. I love you enough. Give it to me. Let me carry it. I'm not the, the, the fearful judge you're trying to avoid. I'm not the king that you thought you needed. I'm the father who loves every last one of his children and longs for them. I'm the friend who will never leave you or forsake you. I am the light that pierces the darkness. He said, I am the fire that shame can never extinguish. I am the gift without cost. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the moment where Jesus took all of our sorrow and pain, all of our suffering, all of our despair. He took it upon himself. Why did he do it? He did it so that you could experience life and love, mercy, and grace. And when it was over, Jesus simply said, it is finished. And then he died. Darkness once again fell across the land. It seemed like all was lost. But the story of God was not finished. Not even close. Jesus was buried and his, his followers were hopeless. They, they wondered, did he just come to die? They didn't know or understand what we can so easily see now in hindsight. You see, on Friday, all seemed lost. But Sunday, Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, God would do the impossible. Now, when Mary Magdalene went to the, to the tomb, she went with her tear-stained face and her outlook was hopeless. And she went there and she didn't find Jesus there. He wasn't there. Instead, she, she found an angel. And that angel said to her, you're looking in the wrong place. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now, <laughs> Mary, she tried to tell the disciples this story. She tried to convey it to them, but their heads were spinning. They couldn't get it. They were, they were like, we don't understand what you're saying. The Bible actually records that it, the, the, the words of the women sound like nonsense to them. Thomas didn't believe it at all. Even after the disciples, the rest of them were convinced, Thomas said, I, I'm not gonna believe it until I see the scars in his hands and touch them. Not until I can place my hand in the side where the centurion spear went to prove that he was dead. Jesus would uh, oblige Thomas a week later when the disciples were huddled in a little room together Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them 
And he walked up to Thomas and stretched out his hands and he said, here, touch my scars. Put your hand in my side. He looked into Thomas's eyes and invited him to believe, to receive resurrection life. Look, the resurrection, it changed everything. Everything. Jesus has been restoring and making all things new ever since he rose from the dead. And the incredible thing about resurrection life is it didn't just happen once. It happened over and over and over again. It happened in the, in the hearts of the disciples. And that's why they were willing to go around the globe. And most of them give their lives as martyrs for the sake of the gospel. It had happened to them. It's incredible. God set all of history in motion from creation to resurrection and from resurrection to this very moment to share his life with you and me. The resurrection changed everything. God is no longer separate and distant. He's near. We can talk to him at any moment of the day. He's listening. Jesus conquered death and fear and suffering. You can take any sin, any sickness, any stress, any struggle and lay it at his feet an illness, a bad situation at work, an affair, a divorce, shame, loneliness, depression, addiction. You can lay it all at the feet of Jesus. You can lay it all at the foot of the cross because Jesus wanted to set you free. He wants to make you free. He died for your sin, he took it upon himself, and then he stamped it with an exclamation point called the resurrection. That's why we can't leave Jesus as a baby. That's why we can't leave him lying in a manger. That's why we can't leave him as a figure hanging on a wall in some church. You can't leave him as a trinket or a meme. When in reality, Jesus has come and he's standing alive before you. He's alive, and everyone who will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus was who he says he is. Those people, when you do that, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, a miracle happens. A miracle happens. So the question that I'm leaving for you today is when the creative power of the universe, God himself, comes to you and he wants to give you a new heart and he wants to give you a new life and he wants to give you a new way of looking at life, will you receive it? Here's the question. How does the story end for you this Easter? Close your eyes and bow your heads.